The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. There's a new documentary airing this evening on Virgin Media. It's called Inside the Hospice and it looks at the areas of death and grief and examines them in another light in the three-part docu-series. And joining me in studio are Dr. Stephen Higgins, consultant in palliative care and the daughter of Paddy Quinn, who was a palliative care patient at Our Lady's Hospital in Harold's Cross and that is Tracy Quinn. Good morning, both. Good morning. Good morning. Stephen, can I start with you? The choice of uh, profession, obviously one goes through medical school and you then decide which way am I going to go? What am I going to specialise in? Why would you decide to specialise in service to patients where you know the outcome is going to be almost universally negative? I get asked that a lot. It's, that's, the, that's the dinner party question every time. I think people are both mystified and sorry for me usually. Um, I stumbled into it a little bit. I mean, when you qualify, you work in various jobs and I, I quite liked all the jobs I did. But then I ended up working in oncology, working with cancer patients. I loved it. And I realised that what I really loved was talking to people who were very ill and, and having those difficult conversations with them. I enjoyed that in a strange way. I was good at it and I felt it really mattered. I felt actually this is something I'm good at. It makes a difference. So that was the area I went. What are the difficult conversations? What do they ask? Usually it's it's people, almost everybody wants to know how sick they are, but maybe they don't want to know it today or maybe they want it expressed in a particular way so it's not as blunt or as hard, but still most people want to know. And most people also want to know what does the future hold? How long have I got? How am I likely to be? How will things go from here? Now, you don't know all of those answers, but you usually have a sense of what's likely. And it's it's getting that sense over to the patient um, in a way that they can understand that makes sense. And I suppose a phrase we used is sort of gentle honesty. Um, you're trying not to be too brutal, too def- too definitive. But at the same time, you have to say, you have to let people know what's going on. And most people find knowing helps. Not everybody. Do they want to know the manner of their dying? Yeah, sometimes people are very factual about that. You know, what will actually happen? What does the last hour, the last day, the last week, what will that actually look like? Now, most people don't go into that level of detail. Um, But I suppose as well, most people's, increasingly most people's experience of dying is what they've seen on TV. And people in real life tend not to die like they do on TV. Um, Now, this documentary may be a little bit different, I think, but um, they do. They want to know what's ahead of them. And some people find knowing just takes away the some of the. How do you mean they don't die like they do on TV? Oh, well, the doctors are much better looking on TV for a start. (laughs) 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 And there's some things that work very well on TV. Um, I've many times said it. If if you're ever going to need resuscitation, have it done on TV because they're very good at resuscitating people on TV. So there's lots of things which are based in truth, but there's a lot of sort of creative license taken with it on TV. And sometimes that's deceptive. And um, Hollywood dying is just it's different. It's. I think dying in some ways is very normal. Ultimately, it's it, it's very almost mundane. I mean, 30,000 people a year die in Ireland. It is a very, very normal thing. And sometimes it's almost less shocking than people think. It can be very quiet, very comfortable, very gentle. And people don't expect that. You know, people sometimes expect a moment of great drama at the end. And usually there isn't. Um, it, it's still... Tracy will speak about this very well. I'm sure it, it's still a very shocking moment. But there's no big thing that happens. There's no big bang. It's it's usually very quiet, very gentle. You mentioned people wanting to get some insight into what the future holds and that that isn't always eminently predictable. Tracy, in, in your dad Paddy's case, that was very much the case. He was given 
effectively four months to live at the point of his diagnosis. He lived for a sub- subsequent to the diagnosis for nearly seven years. Yeah, yeah. So my dad was diagnosed uh, two days before Christmas, um, seven years ago, and the prognosis was very grim. It was uh, kind of four months is what they estimated. And uh, we kind of just thought that's it. Um, it was absolutely shocking. What was the diagnosis? Um, He had, um, uh, Dr. Higgins will probably know this better than me, he had metastatic metastatic kidney cancer. Um, I think it's also called renal cell carcinoma. Um, So essentially kidney cancer that went on to spread to his lymph nodes, his spleen, his his liver, his lungs. Um, And sometimes with people, uh, in, in his case, it can go to the brain, but it it hadn't with him. Um, But he had, like, he'd bad cancer from the word go, if you know what I mean. Um, It was really shocking in our family because my brother, Jordan, had also had cancer when he was two, um, the youngest of of the five of us. So it felt a bit like, oh God, cancer happens in our life and here we go again. Um, And yeah, I didn't really think that, you know, you hear a, a time and you think that's fact. Um, if someone had have said, here's a crystal ball, seven years later, he'll be the star of a um, Virgin Media documentary with, uh, with flawless villains, I would have said, um, probably not, but there and you go. he was a very young man at diagnosis, he was 52. Yeah, he's 52 when he was diagnosed um, and he died at 58 and um, his mother actually died of cancer when she was 58 also. So it, there was a real sense of um, of of history repeating itself, and actually, the manner in which he died was quite similar to the manner in which his his mom died. In what sense? As in the way his death manifested, as in like what his last couple of hours and minutes looked like, um, the the kind of noises he was making, um, that kind of gurgle in his lungs. I know it's kind of difficult for people to to hear that stuff, but they're the. The, the parts of um, of death that I didn't really know about and I actually read a book on palliative care. I read a book called um, With the End in Mind and it's a, a palliative consultant and she goes through the stages of death in the same way that you'd read a book about having a baby and the stages of birth and I found that hugely um, comforting because obviously I didn't realise that, you know, speaking to Dr Higgins and, and, and being in the hospice meant that you had access to those answers. People are very happy to answer and those questions. And did Paddy want that information as well? Um, I didn't tell my dad I was reading that book because my dad was quite a unique case um, and I think like from the get-go when he started speaking to Sharon, uh, that's Flawless Films, Sharon uh, runs the, she's behind the documentary, he was very open and honest with her about the fact that although the, the medical world would say that his his body was, was, was kind of shutting down and, and, and death was a lot closer than he would like to admit, he really didn't feel like he was going anywhere. So my dad was very intelligent, very open when he spoke about the possibility of death and what he would like and what he wouldn't like. But he was adamant that he wasn't going anywhere. So, And how did he come to be in the hospice? How did Because obviously yeah. if you have seven years, there is a period where there will be a, a horrendous shock at the start from the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And then there is a period of... Oh, things aren't so bad, and he's fighting, and he's 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 um, doing well in, with the disease. At what point then was the decision made to enter the hospice? Um, I guess a lot of that is down to uh, the man sitting opposite me, Doctor Higgins. I would have attended a lot of my dad's appointments with him, uh, and there was a particularly difficult uh, a, a, a consultation with Doctor Higgins where we had one of those difficult conversations. Uh, my dad was that patient that he was describing that really kind of put the gun to his head and said, what 
could we be looking at time-wise um, if if X happens and Y doesn't? What could the outcome be? He really wanted to know. And unfortunately, the answers in that uh, meeting were, were, were that it, it wasn't great and that it was possibly and probably um, months at best and, and, and weeks was, was, was more likely. Um, and the conversation just came up about, I guess, the hospice. And that's where the conversation started about sort of like, I always say dying well, like having a having a, a positive death experience, which in itself is such a juxtaposition because what's good about death? But when you're supporting a loved one and that is absolute fact that's going to happen, them having a good death actually is more about nearly the people around them because we're left with the grief and we're left with the trauma of of, of what it looks like and what it looks like in the hospice is just it's way more holistic than people would ever imagine. And and in your terms, do you think your dad had a good death? Yes, I really do. I really do. I can't even believe I'm saying those words because what's good about it? But he did. Um, my like my dad was a, like alive and speaking to me at, uh, at at twelve o'clock, and he was asleep at two o'clock, and he didn't wake up. But he was telling me in the room. I, I believe it's called terminal agitation. Maybe that's the term. Um, he was telling me that he had somewhere to go. Uh, he asked me where his Revolut card was. He wanted his phone charged and he asked me to dress him. And he actually started undressing. And my dad would never do that. Um, he had a real sense of he had somewhere to be, uh, like somebody was coming to pick him up. He was going somewhere. It was bizarre. And my husband was there and I was kind of looking at my husband saying like, do I dress him? I, I don't. So I got him the card. I, I got him the phone. Um, and I just went with it. And he said, I have a few bits to do. I need to get these bits sorted and I'll feel better. I have a few bits to do. And within an hour and a half, he was he was in the bed. He was asleep. Um, his last uh, request was a, a Turnix tea cake. And that's what I mean when I say living till the very end. He had every ounce of life left in him until he didn't. You, you describe some of the behaviours there and, and you describe reading the book about mm-hmm. predicting some of the things may happen. To what extent, Stephen, is there commonality in, in people's reactions, whether they be the patient or the family? I mean, whenever you say death, somebody brings up Kubler-Ross. Is, is there truth in that, that there are sort of models of dealing with grief and bereavement and, and death? I mean, the answer to that is, I suppose everybody's death genuinely is unique. Um, in the same way, though, it's a cliche, in the same way that everyone, we all live different ways. We all die different ways. So everyone is unique. But yes, is there overlap? Of course there is. And there are patterns and there are sort of common sadnesses and common concerns. And so there is a lot of similarity to it. And I suppose what we're trying to bring sometimes to people, if they want, and most people do, is is a some familiarity with what lies ahead, some understanding of what it is. And there's some things we can predict a little bit and maybe try and help the patients and the families through that step, because we might know this is a difficult step. Let's see what we can do to support you through it. But it is very individual. And I think um, I think maybe what the hospice can do, and I think all the hospices in Ireland would be the same on this, we can, uh, we can be a little bit more individual in terms of how we treat patients. We're, we're not treating a disease. We're not treating everybody the same because everyone is different. And you have to respond to that and recognise that or the care isn't as good. Is denial innately a bad thing because I've seen people die where they they were waiting to welcome it long before it arrived and I've seen people die who refused to believe that it was happening until it literally did. Is there anything wrong in denying its existence? I think there's two groups. I think there's one group who are in denial but what that means is they're not talking about it. It doesn't mean they don't know. Uh, And then there's a second group who are in denial and really they don't know. 
Now, I think the latter group is much smaller. The people who really don't know, there's very few people don't know. And if you think about it, most people who die are older. So they will have had siblings or friends or classmates who have died. They have they're familiar with dying. It's very hard not to know that you're dying when you've seen it happen to other people. You're losing weight. You've been in and out of hospital. You've had biopsies. You see all of those things. Of course, you know. So I think a lot of the people who are in inverted commas in denial just prefer not to talk about it. Um, so it's, it is there's a very small group who don't know and it doesn't. It doesn't worry them. And that's great. That works for them. But there's very few. I think the bigger group, they do know they're not talking about it. And that's not always helpful for them. And sometimes helping them have that conversation. And they might find it easier to talk to myself or the home care nurse who's out with them because they don't care about us. We're outsiders. We're objective. We're not going to get upset. So they can say things to us that perhaps they can't say to the people who really, really matter to them. And you often see this where the, the family don't say anything to mum because they don't want to upset her. Mum doesn't say anything to the family because she doesn't want to upset them. So both know, but they can't talk about it. And sometimes we're trying to be that bridge in between. The documentary is on tonight tomorrow night and on Wednesday night and it is tomorrow night's episode that has yeah, Paddy Tuesday in Yeah, Tuesday is my it. dad so yeah, Paddy Quinn he's uh, going to be doing us proud and my siblings and myself are in the documentary also. Will he be or would he have been pleased to be on it? Oh my goodness talk about a dream come true I mean th- from the moment he sp- started speaking to Sharon like Sharon is the producer but she was like whatsapping my dad all the time they were pals and she created this really safe space for him to actually say some of the things that he wasn't saying to us funnily enough and this is the magic of the show I've seen the episodes and I am seeing my dad in real time say words that I've never heard him say before and there's Are you glad to have the record of that? Incredibly glad and proud and like some of the some of the sh- parts of the show are, are, are difficult to watch. Um, I think it's it's quite shocking um, for some people, but I think it really shines a light on the fact that the hospice is is associated with death in so many people's minds. But actually for us, it was associated with allowing him to live, um, live as well as he could until the end and, and, and die as well as he could when that time came. And it was incredible. I, I am so grateful um, for the hospice, but I'm so grateful grateful that Sharon gave my dad that space to to talk about what was going on and, and so eloquently. Tracy, thank you very much for coming in this morning. Likewise, um, Stephen, thank you. That very is well. Tracy Quinn, who is the daughter of Paddy Quinn, who is going to be on the episode tomorrow night. And uh, Stephen Higgins, who is a consultant in palliative care. And VMTV is going to be supporting Together for Hospice and their national campaign, Hospice Sunflower Days, with content and interviews across all of their studio shows. But if you want to make a donation to your local hospice uh, by dedicating a sunflower, you can go to sunflowerdays.ie. And it is 9pm that they... 9pm, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday this week. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.